You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports on this Monday, September the 18th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkins from the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Another show on the Wise Guys Sports Show. I'm going to recap NFL Week 2. A few different games I'm going to get into. I'm going to talk about the Cowboys. 30-10 to 10 win over the New York Jets. Also, I'm going to talk about my Packers collapse that took place in Atlanta yesterday. I'm going to talk about that. Boy, am I upset and frustrated with my beloved Green Bay Packers. But I'm going to talk about them a little bit later on in the show. And also, I'm going to talk about the L.A. Chargers. They started off the season 0-2, but it ain't Justin Herbert's fault. But I'm going to talk about that here in a bit. The number to dial is 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show tonight. But we begin in the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens beating the Cincinnati Bengals 27-24 yesterday at Paycar Stadium. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson played better in Week 2 than he did in Week 1. Lamar Jackson went 24-33, threw for 237 passing yards, two touchdowns. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow went 27-41. He threw for 222 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Joe Burrow did re-aggravate his calf. Ravens improved to 2-0. Bengals fall to 0-2. And the Bengals are 0-2 for the fourth time in five seasons under head coach Zach Taylor. Here is Joe Burrow after the game. Tweaked it a little bit again. Uh, you know, we'll see where it is tomorrow. I'm going to have to wait and see. I, I'm not sure how it's going to feel the next couple of days. Uh, it's pretty sore right now, but no, no telling how it's going to feel. So I think we're going to take it day by day. How did you tweak it? It was on the play before the last touchdown. That was Joe Burrow in the postgame press conference immediately after the Bengals lost to the Baltimore Ravens, and just to give y'all some numbers on the Bengals, they fell to 0-2, and these are teams that started 0-2 with two division losses since 2022. The Chargers in 03, the Vikings in 2013, Browns 2017, Commanders in 2019, Dolphins in 2020, Lions in 2020, and the Bengals now in 2023. All those teams that I named all missed the playoffs. And so everyone's talking about what's going on with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And the first thing I want to talk about is I feel like the reason why Joe Burrow is struggling the way that he is right now is because Joe Burrow is obviously injured. Joe Burrow is injured and it's obvious. That calf injury is affecting Joe Burrow and his play. You got to remember, this is a Joe Burrow who, coming into the season, I said that the three quarterbacks who are solidified in my eyes as to having nothing to prove are Patrick Mahomes, 
Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson. And when you look at Joe Burrow specifically in his rookie season, he got injured. He comes back in his sophomore season in the NFL, leads the Bengals to a Super Bowl appearance. Then in his third year, he follows that up after he led them to a Super Bowl appearance. He gets them to an AFC Championship game appearance. And so for me, I feel like Joe Burrow is proven, and he's proven that he can play well in big games. And also, even in college, Joe Burrow played well in big games. The man at LSU won a Heisman Trophy. He had 60 touchdowns, six interceptions in one particular season. I believe that was his Heisman season. And so Joe Burrow is proven. He's a proven winner. But the reason why Joe Burrow is currently struggling is because Joe Burrow is injured. His calf is bothering him. And so when your calf is bothering you, you can't have the, the, the effect and the delivery throwing the football like you're accustomed to having with that calf injury. Ever since he injured his calf in camp, Joe Burrow has not been the same. And the Bengals' approach was they were going to sit him out of the preseason and they were going to try to bring him in to start the season. And I feel like they wanted him to get into a rhythm as the season goes along. But the problem is it's went the other way, in the opposite direction. Instead of him being able to heal as time goes along and they play games, he re-aggravated his injury and yesterday's loss to the Ravens. And now you have to ask the question, should the Bengals sit out Joe Burrow for the next few games? They got the Rams on Monday night next week here at Paycar Stadium, and then they have the Titans. If they don't have Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals will begin the season 0-4. Let me put that out there right now. If they don't have Joe Burrow and they have to sit Joe Burrow out the next few weeks so he can try to heal from his calf injury that he's currently dealing with, if they don't have Joe Burrow, they will lose to the Rams and they will lose to the Titans. You're not beating the Rams or Titans with their backup quarterbacks. We saw in preseason that the Bengals' backup quarterbacks are not very good. And so I just feel like he's injured right now, and that's the reason why he's struggling. That's the reason why he's struggling. And also, for whatever reason, so far in his career, Joe Burrow doesn't get off to great starts at the beginning of the season. This is Joe Burrow in his career. Weeks one and two, he's one and seven in his career. Burrow's career record in all other games, 23-12-1. So this has been a pattern where the Bengals and Joe Burrow have gotten off to slow starts. And now Bengals fans are talking about, well, we got off to an 0-2 start last year. Last year they got off to an 0-2 start. They lost to the Steelers at home, and then they lost to the Cowboys in Dallas in Week 2. But unlike last year, this year the Bengals started off 0-2, and those first two losses were division games. They lost to the Browns in Week 1. They lost to the Ravens in Week 2. And so when you lose division games, it's almost like you're a game and a half back, not just one game back. So last year you lost two games, one game. 
that was a divisional game to the Steelers and the next game was a game to the Cowboys, that won't hurt you as much as the season goes along compared to this year when you lose two games to two division foes in weeks one and weeks two. Not to mention this year in the AFC, it's much tougher competition in 2023 than it is in 2022. This year in the AFC, it's loaded. You got Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. You got two attack of Iloa and the Miami Dolphins who are 2-0. In the AFC West, you know Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be there. In the AFC South, I know they lost yesterday, but Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars are a playoff team in the AFC. And even in the Bengals division alone, the Cleveland Browns are 1-0. They might be 2-0 after their game tonight against the Steelers. And the Ravens are already two games ahead of the Bengals in the AFC North. So I think the Bengals are in trouble. I think that if you're the Bengals, I think what they need to do is you got to look at how the Jets situation with Aaron Rodgers, how that just unfolded. You have to look at that and try to figure out a way to protect your investment in Joe Burrow. You got to protect Joe Burrow from himself. Because you know Joe Burrow wants to go out there and play. But the reason why I brought the Jets up was because in training camp, it was reports out of New York about how Aaron Rodgers was dealing with a calf injury. And we saw what happened four snaps into the season. Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles. And so if you're the Bengals, you don't want to put Burrow in a position to where he suffers a significant injury and you already know he's dealing with the calf injury so even if you have to punt on the 2023 season that would be okay because you're going to have joe burrow for future seasons to come he just signed a new long-term deal so he's not going anywhere anytime soon he's going to be right here in cincinnati so if i feel like if you have to punt on the, the 2023 season then so be it you need joe burrow for future seasons to come more so than just the 2023 season so these calf injuries they always lead to something worse so the Bengals got to be careful here they got to be careful here and then also even when you look at the Bengals schedule they still got to play kansas city they still got to play buffalo they still got to play san francisco it's tough the rest of the way it's tough and it's not going to get any easier. So they got they got to figure figure this out. Jamar Chase, he hasn't been himself either because Joe Burrow's been dealing with this injury. And I thought in the second half they got some things going. But by that time, I feel like the Ravens had already had momentum. They had already kind of put together a few drives. And they were controlling the football game. But you got to get the Ravens some credit because in this game, the Ravens were able to throw the ball effectively. You saw Lamar Jackson sit back there in that pocket and deliver the football down the field. Lamar Jackson had over 200 passing yards and no turnovers. He was efficient, very, very efficient, getting the ball to his playmakers. And also in this game, remember, the Ravens, they were without their left tackle. They were also without their starting center. They already lost J.K. Dobbins for the season. So the Ravens are dealing with injuries on their end as well. And they still came out and played at a high level and controlled the game start to finish. So you got to get the Ravens some credit.
Got to get the Ravens some credit from that from that standpoint. And it was a great win for the Ravens over the Bengals in week two. But even when you look at the, the, the stat sheet, the Ravens had 178 rushing yards. So they were able to run the football with Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards had 10 carries, 62 rushing yards. Lamar had 12 carries, 54 rushing yards. But the way that Lamar distributed the football in the new offensive coordinator. They got a new offensive coordinator now. Their new offensive coordinator, because they changed coordinators. They had Greg Roman last year. Now they have Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin is their new offensive coordinator. And this is exactly what they want to see. They want to see Lamar stand in the pocket and throw the football down the field. And he did just that yesterday afternoon at Paycar Stadium. But it, things are going to get interesting for the Bengals as we move forward. You're the Bengals. You got to err on the side of caution here. You got to, even if you have to sit Burrow out for a few weeks, even if it drops you to 0 and 4, 0 and 5 on the season, if you have to pump for the 2024 season and for future seasons to come and he's healthy, that's something that you have to do. So, those are my thoughts on the Ravens beating the Bengals yesterday at Pekar Stadium 27 to 24. I think the Ravens are the favorites in the AFC North going forward. And I also feel like Lamar Jackson is going to win NFL MVP. And a lot of Bengal fans laughed at me, laughed at me when I came out with my preseason predictions for the divisions and who I believe is going to make the conference championship and make the Super Bowl. Everybody got on my status and my posts and laughed at me when I said the Ravens were going to win the AFC North. And when I said that the Lamar Jackson was going to win NFL MVP, Bengal fans got on there and they laughed at me. I don't think they're laughing anymore as Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens are now 2-0 and the Bengals are 0-2 to start the season. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody going to follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show Tonight, any particular team you want to talk about, your team lost this weekend in the NFL, call to the show. Let's talk about it. Come and voice your frustrations with me as a fan. I'm here for you. My Packers lost yesterday, and they gave up a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Atlanta Falcons. So I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I can understand your frustrations for sure. But let's transition and let's go to Tennessee as the Tennessee Titans beat the Chargers 27 to 24 for the Chargers. Justin Herbert went 27 to 41, threw for 305 passing yards, two touchdowns. Keenan Allen had a great performance, eight receptions, 111 receiving yards, two touchdowns. For the Titans, Ryan Tannehill had a great game, 246 passing yards. Went 20 of 24 passing, one touchdown, 
Here's Chargers head coach Brandon Staley after the game. I'm not, I'm not worried about the Jacksonville loss. The Jacksonville loss hasn't carried on to the season whatsoever. If you've seen our training camp or you've seen the way we played in the first two games, it hasn't had an impact on our team whatsoever. Our team is connected. Our team has played its heart out in two games, and we've lost two tough games. But there's, it has nothing to do with the Jacksonville game. And if you ask anyone in our locker room, it has nothing to do with the Jacksonville game. And that's just the truth. It's a convenient storyline for you and for everybody else, but it's not the truth. We've lost two tough games, but the guys in that locker room, the men in that locker room, they are finishers and they have what it takes, and we're excited. Yeah, we just lost a game in overtime, Jeff, so how do you think the mood is? How do you think the mood is? How do you think it is? It's tough. It's tough. It's a tough, a tough group in there. There's a lot of pride in that room, okay? And we put a lot into this, and we got a good football team. And so we've lost two tough games. We've got to bounce back, learn from our mistakes, and be ready for Minnesota. That was Chargers head coach Brandon Staley after his Chargers fell to 0-2 on the season. So I'm looking at the L.A. Chargers, and their last four games dating back to last season, they lost in Week 18 to the Denver Broncos. They lost by three. And then they followed that up where they had a collapse in Jacksonville. They lost the wild card game to the Jacksonville Jaguars by one point. Week one, Tyreek Hill and the Miami Dolphins ran circles around that Chargers defense. They lost by two points in week one. And then yesterday in Tennessee, they lost by three in overtime to Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. And last year, the Chargers finished the season 10-7, and seven, and seven wins of those 10 games that they played in that they won, they were by one possession. So seven wins by one possession, and they had five losses by one possession. When it comes to the L.A. Chargers, I believe that Justin Herbert is one of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. I believe that Justin Herbert is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, and honestly, his talent is top five, in my opinion. When you consider his arm strength, when you consider his ability to be able to move out of the pocket and make throws on the run, I believe that Justin Herbert is a top 10 quarterback maybe top five, depending on who you ask, in the NFL. And his stats back it up. For his career, Justin Herbert, 97 touchdowns, 35 interceptions, 14,623 passing yards, completing 67% of his passes. And in the last four games, including the playoffs, last four games that the Chargers have lost, Here's Justin Herbert's numbers. Seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, passer rating of 98.4, completing 65% of his passes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a quarterback issue in L.A. when it comes to the L.A. Chargers. The problem in L.A. is Brandon Staley. Let's talk about Brandon Staley for a second. Brandon Staley's signature and his calling card and what he's known for is defense. Well, let's look at the Chargers so far this season defensively. The Chargers have given up 32 points per game. That's ranked 30th in the NFL. 
They've given up 438 yards per game. That's ranked dead last in the NFL. They've given up 333 passing yards per game. That's ranked dead last in the NFL. They give up 6.9 yards per play. That's ranked dead last in the NFL. And they, get, they have given up 18 total big plays so far in these first two weeks. That also is ranked dead last in the NFL. So my question for the Chargers organization is if Brandon Staley can't strengthen what he's known for and that side of the ball, then what value is he holding being the L.A. Chargers head coach? I'm one of those people that believe that Brandon Staley should not have been allowed back on the flight to L.A. once the Chargers lost a 27-point lead in the wild card game last year when they played the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't feel like Brandon Staley should have been allowed back on the team flight back to L.A. The Chargers should have fired him right on spot and said, hey, you got to find a way back home. You, you, you're a highly paid individual. You got a lot of money, but you got to find a way back home, my brother, because we just lost a 27-point lead with Justin Herbert as our quarterback. So I feel like he should have been fired last year. And remember, there's something you got to keep in mind. Sean Payton is the head coach of the Denver Broncos. But Sean Payton wanted the Chargers job. Sean Payton wanted to be the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. This is something that people don't really talk about, but these are facts. Sean Payton wanted to be the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. And instead of firing Brandon Staley in the offseason, they decided to bring him back. And Sean Payton ended up getting the Denver Broncos job. But could you imagine Sean Payton with Justin Herbert and how Justin Herbert's development would be outstanding in the 2023 season? Because I believe that, again, at the, the top quarterbacks in the NFL, the young ones, the young guys, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson as well. I feel like Justin Herbert is in that conversation. But there are some people out there who believe that Herbert does not belong in that conversation, A, because he hasn't won a playoff game, and B, because the Chargers time and time again always have these games that they lose that they are supposed to win. So people feel like Justin Herbert is not elite. And I'm letting you know right now, Justin Herbert, is elite. He ain't the reason why the L.A. Chargers have lost four consecutive games dating back to last season. That would happen to be Brandon Staley. And I don't understand how the hell Brandon Staley still has a job. And you got people right now in L.A. who's literally calling for this man's job. Now, remember, in L.A., it's so many sports teams that people care about before you even get to the Chargers. You got the Lakers. You got the Dodgers, you got the USC Trojans, you got the Rams, and so many other sports teams in Los Angeles that people care about before you even get to the L.A. Chargers. And today, the talk of the town is, how does Brandon Staley still have a job? That's what everyone's talking about. 
Not to mention, I think they made a mistake moving from San Diego to Los Angeles. Because if you watch or if you go to a Chargers home game, the opposing team's fan base outnumbers Charger fans. So this ownership, they are making mistakes and wasting, wasting Justin Herbert's prime. They're wasting his prime. And I look at their players on their team. They got nice skill position players like Keenan Allen, like Mike Williams. At running back, you got Austin Ekelar. Now, he didn't play yesterday. He was out. But Austin Ekelar is a top 10 running back in the NFL. And defensively, that's Staley's calling card, right? Defensively, you still got Khalil Mack. Now, Khalil Mack is not the player that he once was in Chicago. He's out of his prime, but he still can produce. You got Joey Bosa as well in your secondary. You got Darwin James. You got Asante Samuel. So this Chargers team, not only do they have the quarterback to be successful, they also have the personnel. So why? Why are the Chargers losing games that they're supposed to win? Why? Somebody call to the show tonight. Is there a Chargers fan out there who's listening to the show tonight? Call to the show. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Please tell me how Brandon Staley still has a job in the NFL as a head coach. This is Brandon Staley's record so far since he's been the head coach of the L.A. Chargers, 19-17, and 0-1 in the postseason. Why does this man still have a job? One more stat for you. In the history of the NFL, no quarterback has scored more points in this many starts as Justin Herbert. Folks, it's not a quarterback issue. It's a head coaching issue. It's a head coaching issue. He's not the man for the job. We have to accept it and move forward. Got to accept it and move forward. Maybe they should call a, a head coach who actually knows offense. Because I believe that these quarterbacks who are in the NFL, who are playing at a high level, it's no accident. A lot of these quarterbacks are being led by offensive minded head coaches or coordinators. Look at Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. He has Andy Reid. Before Eric Bieniemy went to Washington, Eric Bieniemy was in Kansas City. Joe Burrow has Zach Taylor, an offensive mind. Aaron Rodgers, when he was in Green Bay, had Matt LaFleur. And Jordan Love has played so far, played well so far in his first two starts because Matt LaFleur is his head coach. He's an offensive minded head coach. Look at Tua. Tua in Miami with Mike McDaniel. Tua is playing some great football to start the season and played well last year, and his 13 games started because he has Mike McDaniel as his head coach, an offensive-minded head coach. So if you're the L.A. Chargers, the first thing you need to do is move on from Brandon Staley and go out and find Justin Herbert, an offensive-minded head coach. Find an offensive guy who can – Put Justin Herbert in positions to be successful. Because you have the personnel and he has the skill set to have the Chargers as one of the top three teams in the AFC. 
Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's transition. Let's go to Dallas as the Dallas Cowboys beat the New York Jets 30 to 10 yesterday. In Dallas for the Jets, Zach Wilson struggled. What else is new? He went 12 of 27, threw for 170 passing yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Dak Prescott played efficient, 31 of 38, 255 passing yards, two touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb had a nice game, 11 receptions, 143 passing yards. So, after the game, Brees Hall had some comments on his usage versus the Cowboys. This is Brees Hall, the Jets running back, says, quote, I mean, I only got four touches. That's why we struggle. It is what it is. We just got down early today and just abandoned the run. That type of stuff happens. You feel like you have to get back in the game and it just slips away. That was Brees Hall after the Jets lost to the Cowboys. So I get on Twitter this morning. I'm looking at Jets fans, and they were talking about the 20-point loss to the Cowboys yesterday. Obviously, I, I, I listened to Brees Hall's post-game interview, and I watched Get Up this morning. And obviously on Get Up, you got Greeny, Damian Woody, Rex Ryan, that big-time Jets fans. Obviously, Rex Ryan, he coached in New York. Damian Woody, he played for the Patriots. I think he played for the Jets as well, but he's a Jets fan, and Greeny's a diehard Jets fan. I'm listening to them talk about this game yesterday, and one of the things that they talked about was how Robert Sala and the Jets coaching staff, like Nathaniel Hackett, that's their offensive coordinator, they didn't run the ball enough. I agree with that assessment. That's one of my biggest takeaways from this game. Because in this game, Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook only had eight rushing attempts. Now, remember, in week one, Brees Hall, fresh off a season-ending injury last year, in his first game back, Brees Hall had 10 carries for 127 rushing yards last week in the game against the Buffalo Bills. So I agree with Damian Woody, Rex Ryan and Greeny's assessment on the Jets-Cowboys game yesterday and saying how Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett dropped the ball because they didn't run the ball enough. I agree with that a thousand percent, that they should have ran the ball more with Brees Hall and with Dalvin Cook. But what Greeny, Damian Woody, and Rex Ryan and all Jets fans 
across the world have to realize is no matter the formula and no matter how successful you are at being able to run the football, the New York Jets season was officially over four snaps into the season when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. This was a team that during the offseason, once they acquired Aaron Rodgers, that talked about how they were Super Bowl contenders and us in the media and fans also mentioned the Jets in conversations as being a contender in the AFC. But once Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles Monday night, four snaps into the season, the New York Jets Super Bowl aspirations were officially over. Not only were their Super Bowl aspirations over, their playoff aspirations were over as well. And the reason why the Jets playoff aspirations are over is because Zach Wilson is their quarterback at the moment. In 2021, Zach Wilson was ranked dead last, dead last in completion percentage and passer rating. In 2022, Zach Wilson was ranked dead last in completion percentage and passer rating. People, Jets fans, he's not very good. He cannot game manage for you and you be able to run the football and play great defense and get to the playoffs. He cannot do it. Jets fans, I'm sorry, but it's over. The season is over. You see Brees Hall in the post-game press conference talking about how he deserved more carries, and, and I agree with Brees Hall. I agree with all the Jets fans who feel like they should have ran the ball more yesterday. But guess what? It doesn't matter what the Jets do running the football because they cannot depend on Zach Wilson to play quarterback at an average level for them to be able to get to the playoffs. Not to mention he's already playing behind a below-average offensive line. Makai Beckman and Dwayne Brown, they had no answers for Micah Parsons yesterday. Micah Parsons was a man on a mission yesterday. Man, looked like the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. They had no answers for him yesterday. You would think the Jets would have tried to double Micah Parsons. They didn't do it. For whatever reason, they did not double Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons was the best player on the field in the Week 2 matchup between the Jets and the Cowboys. But all this talk about how Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett had a terrible game plan going into this game, even though I agree that they should have ran the ball more, it won't matter because Zach Wilson is their quarterback. Now, if you go out and make a trade for Kirk Cousins, then the Jets become playoff contenders. Because everyone's talking about maybe the Jets should sign Carson Wentz. Even with Carson Wentz, I don't see this Jets team being a playoff team. If they get Carson Wentz, they could possibly go 7-10. and 10. But what's the, what's the purpose in bringing in Carson Wentz if you're going to have an identical record this year like you had last year? 
The purpose of bringing someone else in is so you can have a better record. If you bring in Kirk Cousins and you add Kirk Cousins to this Jets football team, a team that has Garrett Wilson at receiver, Alan Lazard, Nicole Hartman, and then in the backfield you got Brees Hall, you got Dalvin Cook. I believe that that would make the Jets a playoff team, possibly, if you add Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is on the last year of his current deal, so maybe, maybe the Jets take a chance on Kirk Cousins. I'm not someone that believes Kirk Cousins is elite, but I do believe that Kirk Cousins is good, and I believe Kirk Cousins can be good enough with that elite defense to where they can be playoff contenders. But there's no way in hell the Jets are going to be competing for a playoff spot in the AFC with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. It's just not going to happen. You look at, and again, the AFC is so strong this year. In the AFC East alone, you got Tua in the Miami Dolphins. You got Josh Allen in the Buffalo Bills. In the AFC South, Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. In the AFC West, you still got Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I expect Justin Herbert and the Chargers at some point to fire Brandon Staley, and maybe they could get back into the playoff conversation. And in the AFC North, you got Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens leading that division. So the Jets are not going to be playoff contenders, A, because Zach Wilson is their current quarterback, and B, the AFC is too strong of a conference. It's the, the conference is too strong. The competition is stiff in the AFC. But I don't even think the Jets will be a playoff contender in the NFC because Zach Wilson is their quarterback. So those are my thoughts on the Jets. The Cowboys, first two games of the season, they look good. They really, really look good. Dak Prescott is efficient. Mike McCarthy and his play calling has been outstanding. Yesterday, the Cowboys had, I believe, 44, 44 rushing attempts. So they ran the football a lot yesterday with Tony Pollard and Vaughn. So give the Cowboys some credit. Give Mike McCarthy some credit because in the past, we've never seen Mike McCarthy run the football as much as he had yesterday. Yesterday, he ran the football a lot. In the past, he's never done that. So give Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys coaching staff credit. That defense looked like they're the best defense in the NFL. Trayvon Diggs in the secondary, Stephon Gilmore as well. Offensively, you still got C.D. Lamb. They didn't even have Brandon Cooks in this game, and they still put up 30 points and had over 350 total yards of offense. So give the Cowboys credit. They're playing well in these first two games. But they, they, they you got to give them credit, but you also got to be careful because they beat the Giants in the Jets, the two New York teams who I don't believe in for two different reasons. I don't believe in the Jets because they don't have competent quarterback play, and I don't believe in the Giants because, well, it's kind of similar to the Jets. I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I don't believe in Daniel Jones, and I don't even like the Giants' skill position players. I know they came back yesterday and beat the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams. They're trying to lose games. Give me a break. I'm not going to give the Giants credit 
for overcoming a 28-point deficit and beating the Arizona Cardinals. So I don't believe in neither of the New York teams. So those are the two teams that the Cowboys have beaten, the Giants and the Jets. But neither of those teams are playoff teams in my eyes. So I give the Cowboys credit, but not so much. But those are my thoughts on the Jets-Cowboys Week 2 matchup in Dallas. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, WiseGuys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition. Let's go to the ATL and let's talk about this Packer collapse. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Green Bay Packers 25-24 to for the Packers. Jordan Love went 14-25. of 25. He threw for 151 passing yards, three touchdowns. For the Falcons, Desmond Ritter went 19-32. of 32. He threw for 237 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. I watched this game. Start to finish yesterday, and obviously the Packers lost the game 25 to 24. And afterwards, I have a buddy who I am friends with who's a big time Packers fan like myself, and we vent to each other. We we are there for each other. I'm a, I'm a I'm a shoulder for him to cry on, and he's a shoulder for me to cry on when we're upset about our beloved Packers. And so after the Packers lost yesterday, I'm texting him when we're talking about the game. And the first thing he said was the reason why we lost was because of Jordan Love. And I got to thinking about how during the offseason, once we knew that Jordan Love was going to take over in Green Bay as the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers moving forward, and we traded Aaron Rodgers to New York, once that happened, everyone talked about how the Packers – have this defense that's supposed to be a top 10 defense in the NFL. And when you look at their personnel, personnel-wise, the Packers have a top 10 defense. Up front, you got Kenny Clark. You got T.J. Slayton. You got Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia from last year. He was a draft pick from Georgia last year. At linebacker, you got Quay Walker. You got Devontae Campbell. You still got Preston Smith as well. And in the secondary, you got all-pro cornerback Jair Alexander. You got Rasul Douglas as well. Darnell Savage. So personnel-wise, the Green Bay Packers have a top-10 defense in the NFL. And so everyone was talking about how in the beginning of the season, while Jordan Love is trying to get into a rhythm and learn how to play the quarterback position, as a starter in the NFL and learning how to go through his progressions and reads and just become a competent quarterback. Everyone was talking about how 
the Packers have a defense that they can rely on while Jordan Love develops on the field. Because off the field, I feel like he's developed. He's developed. But it's only so much you can do off the field. At some point, you have to get in there and actually play. And so while he was going through his development stage, the strength of the team was supposed to be the defense. But after watching the performance yesterday from the Packers defense, it is clear that in these first two games, Jordan Love, yes, Jordan Love, ladies and gentlemen, is the strength of this Packers football team. Let's look at Jordan Love's numbers in the first two weeks, shall we? Jordan Love, he's went 29 of 52, 396 passing yards, six touchdowns with a passer rating of 118.8. That passer rating leads the NFL. Now, that completion percentage isn't great. He's only completing about 56% of his passes, but that will get better as time goes along. And remember, this is Jordan Love without his number one receiver in Christian Watson. And yesterday, he didn't have Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, or David Bakhtiari. I don't know why the hell David Bakhtiari didn't play in this game. You, you asked Matt LaFleur in the postgame press conference, if you ask him what's going on with David, David Bakhtiari, he gets frustrated. He doesn't want to talk about it. I don't know what the hell's going on with David Bakhtiari. We know he's friends with Aaron Rodgers. And a part of me as a Packers fan, I wonder, I just wonder if when Aaron Rodgers walked out of that door in Green Bay and walked out of Lambeau Field for the final time, sometimes I wonder if David Bacciari walked right out with him because they're friends. I don't understand why the hell David Bacciari doesn't play in games. But Jordan Love played great yesterday. Even without David Bacciari, Christian Watson, and Aaron Jones. No, he didn't score in the fourth quarter. He didn't play great in the fourth quarter. And he did miss. He missed a wide-open Romeo Dobbs in the fourth quarter. And they had a debacle on the center quarterback exchange on the quarterback sneak. But for the most part, in these first eight quarters of the season, in seven of those eight quarters, Jordan Love has played at a high level. And he's proved that he can be the franchise quarterback moving forward for the Green Bay Packers. It's only a short sample size, but he's proved it. But you know who has not lived up to the hype? It's this Packers defense led by defensive coordinator Joe Barry. They were pathetic yesterday. Yesterday, the Packers defense allowed 211 rushing yards from the Falcons 446 total yards for the game. How the hell you give up 211 rushing yards and you got players like TJ Slayton, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith up front? How the hell you give up 211 rushing yards? You know what happened yesterday in Atlanta? The Atlanta Falcons punched the Green Bay Packers in the mouth and the Packers had no response. No response whatsoever. And in football, there are times where you have to get physical. It can't, all, it can't always be about finesse. 
You, it, it, it cannot always be about finesse. Sometimes you got to put your mouthpiece in your mouth and you have to put your hammer on and buckle up your chin strap and know, oh, it's a battle. It's about to be a fight. And yesterday, the Green Bay Packers defense lost that fight to the Atlanta Falcons offense. B.J. Robinson, the running back for the Falcons, Desmond Ritter, they ran all over this Packers defense. And this was supposed to be the strength of the team this year. And they have not lived up to the hype. They had another, another running back, Tyler Algeyer, as well, in their backfield. Tyler Algeyer and B.J. Robinson dominated this football game. 211 rushing yards? It was awful. And I'm, I'm and, everyone, and like I said, I'm talking to my, my buddy, and he's telling me how, oh, man, they, they lost the game because of Jordan Love. I'm telling him, bro, did you not watch the same game I just watched? The Packers had a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter. 12-point lead in the fourth quarter, and you could not finish that deal. If the Packers' defense gets one stop, one stop, the Packers improve to 2-0 on the season and would be the number one team in the NFC North. All the other teams in the NFC North lost in week two. So the Packers would have been at the top of the division at 2-0 going home back to Lambeau for a week three matchup against the New Orleans Saints next week. But instead, the defense could not do one job, and that's stopping the run. Because I don't think Desmond Ritter has developed yet to where you feel like you can put the game in his hands and he can win it for you. Desmond Ritter needs an effective running game to be effective. So I feel like if the Packers would have stopped the run, hell, they, they gave up 211 rushing yards. If they would have given up even just 100 rushing yards for the game, then you would have forced Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, you would have forced him to have to put the ball in Desmond Ritter's hands, and the Packers were already winning the game. They were up 12 points. So Jordan Love had did his job. Yesterday, without Aaron Jones and without Christian Watson, the Packers had a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they could not close the deal because of a defense that has not lived up to the hype. Quay Walker dropped a for-sure interception Jair Alexander completely whiffed on a pick six. He had a pick six early in that ball game and completely dropped the interception. Completely dropped it. So I don't want to hear Packer fans talking about, oh, the reason why we lost this game is because of Jordan Love. No, Jordan Love did his job. It was the defense that do not that did not do their job. And that's the reason why the Packers are one and one. And now, tough week three matchup against the New Orleans Saints next week in Lambeau. I, I, it's an early season must win for the Packers. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial on the show. Ready for these Monday night football matchups tonight. We got some big-time matchups. Two division games, Browns, Steelers, Saints, Panthers. So an AFC North battle in Pittsburgh and an NFC South battle in Carolina. Excited for those matchups. Bryce Young, and his first home opener. Panthers at home against the Saints. Saints should take care of business. They are the favorites to win that game. I got the Saints winning 24-13. And in the other game, Browns-Steelers, I think the Steelers steal one in week two and improve to one and one on the season. Browns, I believe, are going to get better as the season goes along, but I still feel like the Steelers will win at Heinz Field, you know, the Steeler Nation will be going crazy with those terrible towels. I think it's going to be a, it's a tall task for Deshaun Watson and Kevin Stefanski to go up there to Pittsburgh and beat Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They got beat down last week in week one by the San Francisco 49ers. I think the Steelers are better than their performance in week one against the 49ers. The 49ers are just that good. Let's transition and let's go to... Colorado for the Battle of Colorado that took place Saturday night in Colorado. Colorado beat Colorado State 43-35. to It went to double overtime. Colorado trailed by eight at one point in the fourth quarter for Colorado State. Fowler, their quarterback, went 34 of 47, threw for 367 passing yards. Three touchdowns, three interceptions. Shadir Sanders, he went 38 of 47, threw for 348 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception. So, when it comes to Colorado and what's going on right now with Dion in Colorado, first and foremost, when it comes to this game specifically, I feel like that this was the type of game that Colorado needed because in their first two games, I never really felt like Colorado felt threatened. When they played TCU in week one, I thought they had control majority of that game. Now that game went back and forth, but I felt like they had control of the game. And then even in week two against Nebraska, I felt like they had control majority of that game as well. But they faced some adversity in this matchup against Colorado State. At the half, they were trailing by seven points. And when they got the ball on their final possession in regulation, they were also down by eight. And I feel like that's when Shadir Sanders had a Heisman moment. He took the Colorado Buffaloes on a seven-play 98-yard drive in the final minutes and then tied the game up with a two-point conversion to get the game to overtime. I feel like it was a Heisman moment for Shadira Sanders. I feel like Sanders had a Heisman moment with that drive. 
He put the Colorado Buffaloes on his back. They don't win that game Saturday night if they don't have Sanders as their quarterback. And I have my questions about Sanders coming into the season because he played at Jackson State last year, and he balled out at Jackson State. But you're in the, now you're in Division One, and I want to see how he's going to adjust to the competition at the Division One level. And, man, has he adjusted. I feel like through the first three games of the college football season, Shadur Sanders is the Heisman Trophy leader right now. And he had a Heisman moment on that final possession for the Colorado Buffaloes in regulation because they had to go 98 yards. That drive started at their two-yard line. They were pinned deep. And I'm thinking, man, I, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome this. And Sanders put together a seven-play 98-yard drive. And then they capitalized on the two-point conversion that got the game to overtime. Because even if you have that 98-yard drive, if you don't convert on the two-point conversion, the game's over. But what the, the performance that he had was sensational. And I feel like what Dion is currently doing right now in Boulder is different. It's different. And it's something that people aren't used to. Dion's style is different than Nick Saban's. It's different than a Kirby Smart. Dion's not the kind of coach that's going to yell at you if you make a mistake. Dion's going to tell you he loves you and motivates you to go out there and redeem yourself and tell you that he believes in you on the next drive or the next possession when you're on the field. Dion believes in his players. And I love the fact that he's able to connect with his players in a way that other coaches at the collegiate level can't connect with their players. Like, Dion can connect with his players in a way that other coaches cannot do. He's able to connect with the younger generation. Now you see at the game, you see Key Glock at the game, you see Offset at the game, Lil Wayne at the game. You, you see at the beginning of the game, Dion comes out with Lil Wayne, and that's his entrance into the game. It was amazing to see. And I love the whole the, the, the locker room speeches that he gives pregame and postgame. You see him always talking about, turn on my theme music. I love it. I love it. And I feel like we have to understand that this is something that we have to get used to. He, he, he's about to get comfortable, as he said. He's definitely about to get comfortable. Now, I do believe that they have to go out and recruit some offensive linemen and defensive linemen because defensively they don't really get much pressure on opposing teams' quarterbacks. And offensively, you want to be able to have some protection for your quarterbacks moving forward because it won't be Sanders. Sanders is going to the NFL. He'll be a top 10 draft pick next year in the draft. So he's going to have to develop a new quarterback. But you have to have someone who could protect his quarterback. So I think he has to beef up that offensive line and go out and get some defensive linemen who can apply pressure on opposing teams' quarterbacks. But the way that he's able to resonate with these, these young college athletes is something that we have to give him credit for. And I love that he's, he's himself. Dion 
is himself and he don't apologize for it. He doesn't apologize for it. And I just think that when it's when 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 you see, even in the postgame press conference, they asked him about Norvell, the head coach for the Colorado State football team. And he even gave him credit and said, Man, I ain't got nothing against him. I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. Took the high road. I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. I, I love that, man. I love that. And I and I and this was a battle. Get but get even though I thought Norvell's comments were out of line, it motivated his football team because Colorado State showed up Saturday night. Ain't no mistake about it. They showed up. Now, I also felt like Colorado State played dirty. They played dirty. They they purposely injured Travis Hunter, if you ask me. And it's unfortunate because Travis Hunter is probably going to be out for the next three weeks. And two out of the next three weeks, the Colorado, Colorado has Oregon and they got USC. And I think those are two games that they need Travis Hunter to play in in order to have a chance to win those games. But they were definitely playing dirty. Colorado State were. And I feel like when you – in sports, everyone knows this. As I played football in high school. Whenever a team knows that they don't have the talent that the other team has on the other side, one of the ways to be able to stay competitive in a game is to play dirty. And I thought they played dirty – especially in that first half of this of that football game, for sure. But Deion's doing big things with the Colorado Buffaloes football program, and it's only going to get better from here. It's only going to get better from here. Everybody, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Call to the show. And we can talk about any particular topic that you want to discuss. I'll be back on Friday and I'll be previewing NFL week three. And I'm going to get everyone my NFL week three wise picks. And I'm going to preview a few of the games for Sunday. And I'm going to react to the Giants 49ers game on Thursday night. Thursday night football, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants are in San Francisco taking on Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. That's a Thursday night matchup on Amazon Prime Video. So I'll be reacting to that game and previewing week three. So everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkins signing off. Have a great night, everybody. Listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.